0: Good morning, good, good, you said good morning back, that's awesome, you're aware of the social etiquette of someone saying good morning to you and then you say good morning back, Jasper, I know you're always aware of that, but speaking of Jasper, Pastor Thad and I were on a plane this week and this is so funny that I, I had to share with I asked his permission about good morning, we were walking onto a plane, at Southwest Airlines from Texas, the only place, the only airline, best airline to fly. So, you know, all you Delta people out there, and uh, and so you 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 know you choose your seat, and so we're getting onto the plane, and there was a seat a row that was wide open, and and the flight attendant was standing right there, and and Pastor Thad asked, "Hey, can we sit right there in that seat?" And and she said back, "Good morning." And then Thad said, "Um, can we sit right there in that seat?" And she said, "Yes, good morning." And she didn't move. And, and you could just see it on Thad's face like he was thoroughly confused why she wasn't moving. I said, Thad, she wants you to say good morning. So then Thad said, good morning. And then she moved and we got into the seat. It was awesome. All right. So I'm so glad you said good morning. Good morning. We're going to have a great morning. If you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter four. That's where we're going to hang out for our time together today. Ephesians chapter four. And we're in this series called ICNU, which is a series on leadership because one of our objectives as a church is leadership development, because we believe everything rises and falls upon leadership, and so we believe that God has given us everything that we need to reach the world around us. They're already sitting here in the seats, and so we want to Uh, Have a conversation with you, say we see something in you, and then help discover, develop, and deploy you out for the sake of the mission that God has called us on. So we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 4 and look at the biblical basis of that and what we can learn from that and how we as a church, it's important for us to structure ourselves this way. But as always, before we get into the text, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the incredible privilege and opportunity it is. We get to be a part of what you're doing in the world. God, let us never forget that you saved us out of the world, not because we were worth saving, not because you owed us something, simply because you loved us and you saved us by grace. And God, you gave us these gifts. You gave us these opportunities now to join you in the saving of others, and that's the most unbelievable thing. It's not only that you save us, but now you're including us in the saving of others. And so God, as we open up your word today, I pray that you would help us to see that, to to see the truth that is in it and to be changed because of it. God, again, we don't want information. We want transformation. And we know that that only comes through the preaching of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. And so would you enable those two now in Jesus name. Amen. Ephesians chapter four, we're going to start in verse one, we're going to work our way down to verse 16, all right, so we got quite a ways to go, so let's jump in. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is a fan of writing long sentences, all right, so let me break this down for you. First, he says, I, therefore, now I've told you this before, but anytime you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself the question. What is it? Therefore. therefore. Great job. All right. What is it? Therefore, because it's a transitional statement. So chapter four begins with Paul saying, therefore, which means he's referring back to everything that he said in Ephesians one through three. And so in in order to understand Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, you have to understand Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, again, because this is one letter. In the first three chapters, Paul is building out what God did to save us, how God planned all before the foundation of the world to save us by grace, through faith, what he did through that whole process. And then chapter 3 ends with a very famous verse of 3.20, where it says God can do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. And then it says, amen. And, and, and anytime you see the word amen, it's very simply the word we just brought over from Greek into English It means that is true. And so Paul just writes this great thing, and he's like, amen, right? He just amens himself, which is why I love it. And then he goes into chapter four. And so what you need to understand is chapter four, five, and six are the commands. He's giving us the commands, or what's called in the Greek, the imperatives, that come out of all the indicatives in, in 1, 2, and 3, which means what God did. So chapter 1, through 2, and 3, here's what God did. 4, 5, and 6, here's what you do. So here's what God did. Here's what you need to do. And so coming out of everything that God did, he now gives us the command of saying, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, now, we talked about this last week, if you were here, when he talked about calling or that word calling, I told you that, that it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine when people talk about calling as a way of talking about gifts. Like I was called to be a pastor. Or I was called to do this thing. My contention is you were gifted to do that thing and God gave you the assignment to do that thing, but your calling is to Jesus. The reason why I don't like the, the differentiation of those words is because when we talk about calling, like I was called to be a pastor, then it makes it feel like none of you are called, that we have the called ones and the uncalled ones. We've got the professional ones and then the non-professional ones. But here you see Paul is using the word to refer to all the Ephesians. He's not talking about just the elders at Ephesus or the pastors at Ephesus. He's saying to all of them to walk worthy in, in accordance to your calling. What was your calling? Your calling, he says in chapter two, is you were saved by grace through faith. You were God's work, equipped to do good works. And so the calling is that you are saved. And that's what God did to save you through Christ. So we are all called and we are all gifted to join Jesus in this mission. So the calling is the same for everybody. The gifting is not the same. And we'll get into that. But I want you to see how he talks about, first and foremost, this calling. He's saying all of you need to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. You need to walk in a manner worthy. That's very simply saying the way you behave needs to match your beliefs. So, chapters one through three is belief, chapters four, five, and six, behavior. This is why in chapter five, he gets into marriage, chapter six, he gets into parenting. So you see, four, five, and six are the behaviors that come out of the beliefs. And so in the beginning of chapter four, he's saying, let your behavior match your belief. You were called to Jesus. Now walk in a way that coincides with your talk of saying you confess Christ. To say it in the opposite way, Paul's basically saying, hey, Christians, don't be hypocrites. Let your walk match your talk. And the walk, he says, very simply is this. He gives them some basic things. He says, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So five things there, he says, that should be true of every believer. Should be true of every believer. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain unity. So that is what it means to walk in a manner worthy. So this is what Paul wants to be true about everybody. In Galatians chapter five, he uses a very similar type of phrase when he says walk by the spirit, then he gives us what is now known the fruit of the spirit. So here you could think about it this way. Paul wants us all to have the same spiritual fruit, all to have the same spiritual fruit fruit. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, first he talks about humility, then he gets into the list of which gentleness and patience are in. So here's what I want you to see. We here at Revolution call this the 80%. So you got 100%. 80% Of what we want every team member, every team leader, every group leader, every coach, anybody and everybody who serves here at Revolution Church, we want 80% of it to be the same. No matter where you serve, no matter where you're a part of the church, we want 80% of what you do and the qualities that you have to be the same. And it comes out of verses like this everybody to have humility. What is humility? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is very simply thinking of yourself less. Chip Judd, who was here back in May, great sermon on that in our Our Father series. I would highly recommend you go back and listen to that. But it's not thinking less of yourself so that now you need some kind of self-help thing, but it's thinking of yourself less often. Here's the amazing thing. The healthier you are, the less you think of yourself. This is why self-help is so self-defeating. It's because self-help puts you at the center. And so it just makes you a a more dysfunctional version of yourself. Self-help is not the answer. Others' help is the answer. When we talk about self-discipline or self-awareness, I was with Henry Cloud, who wrote the book that this whole mission of our church is based upon. He wrote a ton of amazing books. I was with him a couple of weeks ago, and he said, self-discipline or self-awareness is not the fruit of self. What that means is this. You can't give yourself self-awareness. You can't give yourself self-control. You can't give yourself self-discipline. He said, self-awareness is a fruit of others' awareness. So he talked about, if you want to be self-aware, ask somebody else how you are in a meeting. He said, if you want to be self-aware, ask somebody, hey, how do you think you are in a meeting? And then they'll respond and then tell that person, now go ask three people how they think you are in a meeting. And when they tell you how you really act in a meeting, now you are self-aware, because you thought you were awesome in a meeting and everybody else thought, I can't wait for her to be quiet, right? You're like, oh, I'm great in a meeting. Everybody loves it when I talk. Have you asked everybody? So here's the thing, self-awareness, all that self stuff has to come from other people. You wanna know what it takes to get that from other people? Humility. Only humble people will think that they don't know it all, and so they need help from others. Hey, would you help me see what I don't see? Hey, would you help me recognize the blind spots that, that I don't see because they're blind spots? So he says, I want this to be true of everybody, humility. Second one, gentleness. If you're going to be a leader, don't you know that it takes gentleness? I was telling our guys, again, we were away this week, and, and, and I thought about this. And I, I said, you know, the difference between somebody who's really skilled in an in a industry, so just think, you know, a plumber or a tradesman or air conditioning, the difference between someone who really knows what to do and someone who doesn't know what to do is the ones who don't know what to do will apply more force, and those who do will apply finesse. Have you ever had, like, you're trying to, you know, Tighten a wrench. Uh, use a wrench to tighten something, and 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 it's just not going well. And you and you use more force because we think if I just try it harder, then it'll work. Well, the wrong thing harder is just worse. So the difference, the reason why mechanics get paid a lot of money, is because they know when to not use force. They know when to take it off correctly, how to take it off, how to put it back on correctly. And if you just simply are brute forcing it, then you are not (laughs) aware of what really needs to be done. The difference between force and finesse. And so think about it like this. When it comes to leadership, if you just plow over people, you're applying force, which means you don't really understand that much about leadership. So Paul says gentleness. Gentleness. See, gentleness is an awareness that other people aren't where they need to be, but me just getting mad at them is not going to help them get there. Gentleness is the understanding as a father, if I just rip into my children about what they did wrong, I'm not helping them know what to do right. Gentleness is the difference between finesse and force. That is a huge leadership principle. Gentleness is the understanding that if I just put pressure on this person I might break them. But if I use finesse on this person, I might help them break through. You see the difference? I only got like two amens. Come on now. Third, patience. Don't you know it takes some patience to lead some people to a place they may not even wanna go? It takes patience. Patience is very simply one of those things that if you go after it directly, you'll never get it. If you leave today thinking, I'm going to be more patient, guess what? God's going to put you in a situation, show you that you got none. Patience, Galatians chapter five, is a fruit of the spirit. It is not a fruit of self. So patience is a fruit of something else. Patience is a fruit of walking by the Spirit. So, if you want more patience, get more of the spirit. It happens by indirect effort. And here's what is so important. Again, think about parenting. My kids are not where I want them to be. And if I just go in with brute force, upset, and trying to force them into that, not only will I be a bad leader, but I will exercise no patience. This is why I'll never forget the moment my son was born and I started parenting him, I called my mom and said, I'm sorry. Straight up. She's like, it's about time. (laughs) You were so patient with me. And so again, these are things he wants to be true about everybody. Two actions, and we got to do these quickly. Bearing with one another and maintaining the, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What is he saying? He says, listen, in order for the body to work, you got to bear with one another. In order for the body to work, you got to bear with one another. This is, I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, this is a lost art in our church and this is a lost art in almost every church. The reason why people get bitter and leave churches is because they simply can't bear with. I want you to understand something. You're gonna hurt people in this church and other people are gonna hurt you. But when they hurt you or when you hurt them, if you can't forgive Get past it and start building up the other person again. If you can't bear with, you'll never get to build up. Let me say that again. If you can't bear with, you'll never get to build up. And here's what I want you to see if I took that mentality of, I am in this relationship until you hurt me, I would have gotten divorced two weeks into my marriage. I wouldn't have a single friend on the planet. But that is how most people approach church. I am in this until you hurt me. This is why my pastor used to tell me all the time, he said, Jason, you don't know if people are really with you until you hurt them and they stay. When you hurt them and they stay, build with them. Again, think about this in marriage. And I've got a great marriage, 17 years in January we will have been in this thing. 17 years, yeah, amazing. You're like, you're way too young and good looking to have. I know. I know. It's amazing, right? But here's the point. You know how much she's had to bear with me? Yeah, she's sitting right here. She's just saying amen. But you know how much I've had to bear with her? But think about it. If I would have not bared with her and she would have not bared with me, not only would we not have stayed in 17 years, but we wouldn't have had a near as deep of a relationship either. So in the church today, we got to learn how to bear with each other because the person next to you is going to hurt you. And guess what? You're going to hurt them. This is what's so amazing about the church today. We just talk about other people like they've done all the things wrong and we completely fail to forget that we are not good to begin with ourselves. And so what is he saying? We all got to learn how to bear with one another. And he says, eager to maintain. That word there, eager, means an intense desire to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What does that mean? Ephesians chapter four is built upon the foundation of Ephesians chapter two. And Ephesians chapter two says, by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that is of a gift of God as well, so that no one can boast You are his workmanship created in Christ to do good works. Then right below that, he starts talking about how you were once a Gentile, hostile to those of faith. You were uncircumcised, but God brought you in to create a new humanity. Jesus is our peace, and he brought two hostile groups together. What is that? That is unity. Unity, listen, is not uniformity. Unity is not we're all white or we're all middle class. Unity is diversity. We're not all white. We're not all middle class. We're not all whatever background we come from, but we are all one in Christ. That is unity. So think about it like this. Only in the gospel can a black person and a white person be in the same family because they have the same father. Only in the gospel can a Georgia fan and a Florida fan be in the same family because they got the same father. So here's what I'm saying to you. Whatever your ethnicity is, whatever your background is, whatever your collegiate affiliation is, none of that matters because in Christ, we are unified in one person. So when that happens, when that happens, the world takes notice and says, listen, you two groups don't normally go together, but why are you together? Because both of us were alienated from God, and in Christ, we've been brought together. Look, look at what he says. Look at the next two verses. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father in all, who is over all and through all and in all. How many? One. One. You know how many times he says one? I counted it. Seven. Seven times one is seven, right? Seven is the biblical number for perfection. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one God. One. And Paul's saying this, if you're walking in him, you're gonna be all about the one. You're gonna be all about one and bringing everybody under one. You're gonna be eager to maintain that. You didn't attain it, Jesus attained it, we maintain it. He attained it, we maintain it. And how do we maintain it? By bearing with one another. By realizing, listen, there's only one body. There's only one heaven. There's not a section of heaven that all the people you don't like are going to live in. Because guess what? If there was, you would be in their section of all the people that they don't like. We forget that. There is way more that unites us together to Christ than there are differences. And anybody who aspires to be like Jesus will be eager to maintain what Jesus attained. They will not let any other affiliation outpace that. They will not be about any one country over the church. They will not be about any one race over the church. They will not be about any one agenda over the church. That is the calling that we've been called into. That's the 80% that Jesus wants for all his people. Now look at verse 7. But... Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, comma, the earth. Some translations put the lower regions of the earth, but there is no of there in the Greek. It's the lower regions, which is the earth. So it says he descended from heaven to earth. This is not the verse to use that he ascended all the way into hell. The cross was hell. So he ascended to earth. Verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So check this. He says the first six verses are what he wants to be true of all of us. That's spiritual fruit. Chapter Verse 7 he says, but... He gives gifts according to each one to the measure of Christ's gifts. So understand something. All of us have the same same fruit. All of us do not have the same gifts. Paul says this uh, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians. We don't all have the same gifts. There's a difference between spiritual fruit and spiritual gift. Both are brought by the Spirit. We all have the same fruit, that's the 80%. We don't all have the same gifts. That's the 20%. You wanna know why Christ didn't give any one of you all the gifts? Because if he gave you all the gifts, you wouldn't need the person next to you. He didn't give you all the gifts. This was an amazing realization, I think, that God showed me when I was first getting started in ministry. Because as a pastor, I was you know delegated certain responsibilities and, and those responsibilities early on in my day were administrating things. I found out real quick, I do not like administrating things. Hell for me would be planning events for all eternity. <laughs> I don't like it. It, it, is, it just wears me down. But you know what was so amazing to me? There's actually people on this planet that like doing things that I don't. And almost always the things that I don't like doing or the things that I do like doing, they don't like doing. You know what's amazing? I need them and they need me. You wanna know why God didn't give you all the gifts? You may think, God, why didn't you gift me like that person? You wanna know why? Because if he gifted you with all those gifts, then you wouldn't need that person. So he didn't give you all those gifts to make you bear with that person, to make you maintain unity with that person. Well, I don't like that person. Guess what? They probably don't like you. But in Christ, you're one. Figure it out. See what I'm saying? So here's the thing. We don't all have the same gifts, but we do all have the responsibility to build up the church. We don't all have the same gifts, but we do have the responsibility to build up the church. And I love how he says he gave gifts to men that he might fill all the earth. Two things there. One, when he says he gave gifts to men, the Greek word there is anthropos. It's where we get our English word anthropology. And long before that was a retail store, it was a discipline, which means the study of human beings, simply anthropology, like psychology and sociology. Anthropology is the study of groups. And so when you look at this word, it's not referring to men and not women. It's referring to mankind. So one thing I want to point out here, I want to speak to over half of the people in our audience right now. Typically, a church is made up of 60% women and 40% men. Women, I want you to hear me say something. God has gifted you too. God has gifted you, and God wants you to be developed into leadership. Here at Revolution Church, our leadership, what we call our leadership pipeline to go from a team member to a team leader to a coach to a director, is not restricted to women. You have leadership gifts within you, just like men do. He didn't just give gifts to men and he didn't just give gifts to women. We both have gifts and we both need to celebrate the differences that each one of us brings. So when he says he gives gifts to men, he's not just referring to men, biologically speaking, and not women. But he says he did that, that he might fill all things. Now listen, what is that phrase there, fill all things? It's a reference to his sovereignty. It's a reference to his rule and reign going out over all creation. There are parts of the earth today that are not submitted to the lordship of who Jesus is, and it's the job of the church to bring them in. That's why he, look, he says the next verse, look at verse 11. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, don't miss this. What are the gifts that he gave? The gifts that he gave, first and foremost, are people, because he says he gave The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. You put all those words together, just take the first letter, it's apest, A-P-E-S-T. It's much easier to think about it like that. He gave the apest for what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body. Here's my point. You might want to write it down. He gave, Jesus gave apest to build the body, not be the body. He gave this group of people to build the body, not be the body. Again, a few weeks ago when I was with Henry Cloud, he made this important distinction. It was so good when he said, listen, if we think we hired pastors to be the body, we are misunderstanding the entire context of scripture. We don't hire a group of men and women to do everything in the church. We hire those people to equip the whole body to do the work of the church. Why? Because when each part is doing its job, the body is built up. So as pastors and staff members, we were not hired to do all the ministry. We were hired to equip you to do all the ministry. That is an important distinction, but one of the reasons why I think the church has not expanded to the ends of the earth like we could have far sooner is because we have delegated the work of ministry to a select few, and we have said they are called, and the rest of us are just here to benefit off of them. My friends, each and every one of you, God has gifted you, and he wants you to join Jesus in the work of ministry. You are here to help build the body, which makes it very clear that no one got the gift of tearing it down. You want to know that criticism is not in the lists of spiritual gifts anywhere? God didn't give you that gift. God didn't give you the gift of writing a blog and criticizing everybody else. Why just see everything that's wrong? Well, go fix it. Go build. Listen, there are no self-appointed Pharisees. Well, there are, but they're just not of Jesus. Jesus had the hardest time with religious leaders who wanted to follow a bunch of rules but had no heart for lost people. The hardest time. And after pastoring a church now for over 20 years, I feel like I'm starting to understand that the hardest thing, again, I said this last week, is not dealing with all the lost people out there, but it's all the leaders in here who think that it's their job to just point out everything that's wrong. That is not a spiritual gift. Let me say it to you like this. Jesus didn't give you that. Another spirit did. That ain't from the Holy Spirit. Now you say, well, there was something wrong. Okay, didn't you go have a a, a talk with that person that did something wrong? Or did you just blast them on Facebook? You want to know why Satan is so hell-bent on destroying the unity that Jesus attained? Because he knows the power of the church that is unified around what Jesus is doing. He knows the power of a group of people that can bear with one another. He knows the power of a group of people that can say, you hurt my feelings, but I forgive you. He knows the power of that. He can't destroy the church, but he sure can distract it. He can't divide the church from Jesus, but he sure can't divide it from each other. And so what I'm saying to you is this, the whole point of why we must develop leaders is because We want to build up the church. We want to be builders. And that's far harder. You know, it takes months to build a building. How many days does it take to tear it down? A couple? And so this is hard work. But why is it so important? Look at the next few verses. Verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I told you Paul likes writing long sentences. He's still got commas. So that we may no longer be children, comma, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, comma, by human cunning, comma, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That was all one sentence. But here's what he's saying. Why? Why did God give apest to equip the saints for the work of ministry? Why? Because if each person is not doing their part, the church is blown about by every wave of deceitfulness, of doctrine gone wrong. Satan is subtle. Satan is scheming. And you see it in the church. Very subtly, the church here in America at least, and also definitely in Europe, has started to slowly veer off course from the doctrine delivered to us by the apostles. It happens slowly. It happens deceitfully. But why is it so important that we develop leaders? Because we can't stop the waves, but we can learn how to surf. That was a great line, and I didn't come up with it. This last week, again, we were the pastors were away working on this objective of leadership development. We walked by the office at a church that we were at, and that was the sign on their wall. We can't stop the waves, but we can learn how to surf. My friends, you and I cannot stop the waves of culture. And Christians keep getting in these culture wars, and that's like going out into the ocean, stretching out your arms and saying, stop! And then you just get pummeled. You can't stop the waves. You can't stop the waves of culture redefining biblical definitions. You can't stop that, but you can learn how to surf them. You can learn how to ride into those circumstances and share Christ with those people who were his sheep but are still lost. We cannot stop the wave of culture, but we can learn how to be wise and live in it and direct people to Jesus. I love that he says that that this only happens when the body is built up and each person is doing its part. Look at verse 15 and 16, then we're done. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Listen to this. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When a body is healthy, it builds itself. If a body, our human body, is always having to go outside of itself to get healthy, then it's not building itself up, but the body was designed to heal itself. So if the church is always going outside of itself, now it doesn't mean that there's not times that we need professionals, we need doctors, we need things to supplement, but even supplements today, by definition, is intended to be a supplement, not a staple. Change your staple and you need less supplements. You with me when I say that? So in the church, we need to change our staple. We need to change our diet. We need to change our habits. And what are the habits we need to change in the church? We need to get a lot of people out of the chairs and into the game. A lot of people who are just consuming the food that is being delivered every week and getting out and actually burning it off. Are you with me? that's actually coming together as the church and receive the meat and the milk of the word of God, but then uses that as nourishment to go right back out and apply it in their life to change the world. That is the body functioning healthy. But we have a lot of Christians that are simply just fat on the word, but they're not fit. They're not out there helping other people be nourished By what they received. When that happens, my friends, watch out. The body will heal itself, but only when each part is working properly. Some translation says, when each person does their part. Listen to me if you are in Christ, you have a gift. And God wants you to use that gift to build up this body, to build it up. But understand if you don't use that gift to build up this body, then our body remains sick. Our body is not as healthy as it could have been if you're not doing your part. And you say, My part's not that significant, I'm the appendix. You know what? I don't, we don't really know what you do, but you're in there. <laughs> and God put you in there. But you know what we do know? You could go sick and kill us all. So, you, so don't discount even the small part, because the small part gone wrong can kill the whole body. If you abscess, the rest of us are Done. And so often we focus on the prominent parts like the mouth. But it's the parts that nobody sees that keep it all running. So don't think simply because you're doing data or holding a baby or out in a parking lot that what you're doing is not building up the body. Your gift is not my gift. My gift is not your gift. You need me just as much as I need you. If you're not doing your part, I don't grow. Here's the fundamental principle. We can't be built up until you grow up. We can't be built up until I grow up and get over myself and start realizing that God gifted me and God gifted you to build up others. You know what's amazing? The more you do that, the more joy you'll have. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you. Thank you for your word because it is true. And the reason why we know it's true is because Jesus came back from the dead and he's alive right now sitting at your right hand, validating everything that he said and everything that everybody said about him. And so God, I thank you for this local church. And what you have done in this body. But God, we just take that as a sign of what you want to do with this body. And yes, we have people that are a part of the body right now that are not functioning properly, they're not connected in relationships, they're not obeying, they're not serving. And if they don't do that, then all of us suffer. But God, we also know there are people listening right now that aren't a part of the body yet. They don't have a relationship with the head, which is Jesus. They have not been saved by grace through faith. And so God, I pray right now you'd save them. No one looking around or talking, very simply is this moment of, There is a God and he does love you. And he sent Christ to get you back into relationship with him. And today you can be saved by grace through faith. And even that faith is not not a, a fruit of you, it's a gift. And so in just a second, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And if you wanna trust Jesus in faith, be saved by grace. We believe that God opens your eyes and you respond in faith. So if that's you, right there where you are, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. Not out loud, if you wanna trust Jesus, it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. You sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. And those who just prayed that with me, again, nobody looking around, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you we got men and women on our prayer team going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put it down. But then the rest of us, if you are in Christ, you're a part of a body. It is not possible to be in Christ and not a part of his body. A hand walking around by itself is weird. So if you're in Christ, you're a part of this body. And if you're a part of this body, then you got a job to do. God is equipping you for the work of ministry. And if you don't do it, the rest of us will suffer. We will not be built up. And we will not be able to heal ourselves. Because Christ works through the hands and feet of his body. So I don't know what that means for you. I do know we got to join a team class very next service. We do it every weekend, 945, 1115. You can sign up, you can serve. And Jasper, you can go right out and sign up and serve. Because our goal is to equip you to do the work of the ministry so that the body can be built up. Father, we ask that you would do it, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.